0: Uh, let's start 1 Timothy chapter 2 today. Now, I promise you that we will uh, not take eight weeks or three months to get through this chapter. Uh, I think we'll uh, get through it in three. So that's my, uh, um, that's my objective, and I'm, uh, that's, that's the course that I'm, that I'm charting right now. So let's look at it, beginning with verse 1. I urge then, first of all, That petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This has now been witnessed to at the proper time. And for this purpose, I was appointed a herald and an apostle. I am telling the truth. I am not lying and a true and faithful teacher of the Gentiles. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word I pray for understanding and wisdom. I pray, God, that uh, your word would be planted in our hearts today and that we would be changed by the power of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Virtually every week as we have uh, been traveling through this really awesome book, I have pointed to chapter three as... Um, kind of a thesis, if you will, of what this book is really all about. Paul says, I'm writing you these instructions so that you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household. This is a letter written by Paul to Timothy, who is a pastor of a church in Ephesus. And, um, and so it's written to Christians, now I'm quite certain I am going to offend you today. Okay, every single one of you has an opportunity, and um, and 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 I, I I apologize not for that. These next three weeks, um, we've been talking a lot about the church. Uh, within chapter one, and, and this book really travels throughout uh, the church. But this chapter seems to me to be more than just the four walls and the roof of the church and how to behave. It, this, is, this is like a behavioral instruction for Christians in life. And this message today is on prayer. Now, notice he says, I urge then, first of all, it's a transition statement. Now, remember, this is a letter. Uh, The Bible was not written in chapter and verse. That came centuries later. This is a letter, uh, and just like you and I would write something, we would not, you know, we would just make a continual thing, and then we'll love Steve at the end. And so... um, What's he transitioning from? He's transitioning from chapter 1, which we covered uh, the last two messages here. And just to remind you, verse 18 of chapter 1 begins this way, Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you so that by recalling them you may fight the battle well, holding on to faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and so suffered shipwreck." regarding their faith. Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. I urge you then, first of all, you see how that flows? It is a hard stop and we take them concept by concept and piece by piece as we teach the word of God. But the truth is how this thing flows gives us some insight Paul's talking about fighting spiritual battles. He gives an example of two people who have shipwrecked their faith and had to be removed from the family, and then he immediately goes to prayer. So if you left last week concerned about the teaching or wondering how you can be protected from the same thing that Hymenaeus and Alexander had to go through, your prayer life, the prayer life of the church, Will be critical to your spiritual protection. So, what does that look like? I mean, what does that mean? Prayer life. This is like this vague thing. It's like the stock market. What is that? Well, right now it's losses, but it will come back, I promise. So in this first verse, Paul gives us some insight to it. What is a prayer life? Well, I'm glad you asked. There's four categories that he gives in this very first verse. He says petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving. So let's take them piece by piece. Petitions. This would be like your needs and your wants. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, your father knows what you need before you ask but he asks you to ask him. In John chapter 15, he says this, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now, lest you think that God is some genie in a bottle and you rub him three times and you get three wishes, there's a progression to this. Notice the qualifier. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, then ask what you want. And the implication there is, if, if you remain in Christ and Christ's words are remaining in you, then the things you're going to be asking for are going to be in line with his will. In Philippians chapter 4, Paul says, My God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory. And I say here, petitions are needs and wants because Psalm chapter 37 says that the Lord will give you the desire of your heart. He created you. He created everything about you. He knows what you want. He knows what you need, but he also knows what you want. What's the desire of your heart? And the closer you are to him, the the closer those desires will line up with him. But the truth is, I still love Alabama football. And yeah, it takes 52 points to beat them, but you know, it took 52 points to beat them. That's a lot of points. And they haven't won, Tennessee had not beat them for 15 years. Now, in the scope of eternity, it's completely irrelevant. But it is fun to watch. And my son, um, I raised my son on, on NFL and Alabama football, and he's staying uh, with me this weekend because my wife's out of town and I need to be babysat. And <laughs> so we sit on the couch together. It's so funny because we say the same thing. He dropped it. Ah, holding. We talk to the TV. We, it's like we, and then I look at him like, hey, who taught you how to do that? God knows the desire of your heart. He wants to give you the desire of your heart. It just can't be more than him, right? It can't be more than him. Prayers. This is an interesting one because we're talking about prayers, and he actually calls prayer, he, he makes it a category. So what would that be? As I consider that, I consider that to be conversation with God. Read through the book of Psalms. This past uh, several weeks, I've just been reading the Psalms with no particular pattern. I just want to know, I just want to read that because what I get out of that is this is, a, this is a man, this is a person who knows God. He's just talking to God. And, and, he, and he goes through seasons and he goes through life and he, and he, he just talks with God. Chapter 18 is, is gives us a, 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 a really well balanced look at that. Some excerpts, uh, chapter one, or verse one, I love you, Lord. You're my strength. You're my rock, you're my fortress, you're my deliverer. God, God is my rock. I take refuge in him. He's my shield, my horn of salvation, my stronghold. Do you ever just do you ever share that with the Lord? We sing songs about the faithfulness of God and he's, he's, he's never failed me yet. Can you say that with confidence? You can. And you should. There's something about just being open and honest and sharing that with God. He appreciates that. Verse 20 to 24, look, uh, the Lord has dealt with me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanliness of my hands, he has rewarded me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord. I'm not guilty of turning from God. All his laws are before me. I've not turned away from his decrees. I have been blameless before him, and I have kept myself from sin. The Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanliness of my hands in his sight. Now, you read this and you think, well, who's sinless? I thought there was no one righteous, and I'm not one. For all have sinned and fallen short of them. And, and the writer of Psalms says, I don't sin. Okay, here's what that means. This is a man who knows God. This is a man who knows he sins, but knows God is faithful to forgive him when he does sin, when he repents. This is a man who knows that what's right and wrong and, and in, the, the, in the best of his ability, he's walking with the Lord and he knows he slips and he knows that God's not there to slap him down, but to pick him up and walk with him out of there. That's a man who knows God. So it's not that you're righteous. It's not that you're sinless. It's that in his sight, you are righteous and you are sinless because you have a relationship with God. And then here's a affirmation of that. Verse 30, as for God, His way is perfect. The Lord's word is flawless. He shields all who take refuge in him. For who is God besides the Lord? And who is the rock except God? It is God who arms me with strength and keeps my way secure. That's a man who prays. Intercession. Ephesians chapter six, Paul writes this. Pray in the spirit on all occasion with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Yes, you can pray for your needs. Yes, you can pray for your desires. Yes, you can walk with the Lord. But there are other people walking with the Lord that need you to pray for them too. Paul says, he's not above it. Pray for me too. That whenever I speak, words will be given me so that I can fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. That's a man who needs to be prayed for. I am a man who needs to be prayed for. We need to be praying for all the Lord's people. And notice he says pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, Paul talk, is, is talking about praying in the spirit, and he says, if I pray in a tongue, it's not me praying, it's my spirit praying, and I don't really understand what I'm saying. That's what he means when he says, my mind is not fruitful. It doesn't mean that... That's not a negative connotation. It's logic that says, okay, when I'm praying in the spirit, I don't even know what I'm saying, but the spirit knows what I'm saying. And I may be praying for somebody on the other side of the world that desperately needs God right now. That's intercession and thanksgiving. Being thankful is super important. And making that known is super important. Colossians chapter 3, Paul's talking about the fruit of the Spirit in this context, and he says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts since as members of one body, you were called to peace. And I love this little sentence right here. And be thankful. Be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another. With all wisdom, through psalms, hymns and songs from the spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. There's power in prayer. Jesus' disciples recognized this in Luke chapter 11, they could have asked him for anything. God would you Jesus teach us to heal, teach us to deliver, teach us to raise people from the dead, but they recognized that His power came from his prayer life. And so they said, teach us to pray. And this is one of two references to the Lord's Prayer. We call it today. And Jesus says, okay, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. If you're looking for help with your prayer life, Jesus has given us not a prayer to quote. This isn't just something that you quote and then you're done. That's my prayer life. That's a pretty weak prayer life. What this is, is a guide. When you pray, say. You know, there's something about speaking your prayers. You ever say something really stupid? All the husbands in the house said, yeah, I said. And the ladies in the house said, yeah, he does. And I like to say, oh, man, that was better in than out. Oh, it came out, and I'm like, ooh. Wish I hadn't said that. I said it electronically last night, as a matter of fact. I had to apologize for it. Had to apologize for it. Didn't realize it was a group. (laughs) Ooh. Then my wife sent me a private one and said, you know, you need to stop that. Sometimes the Holy Spirit sounds a lot like my wife. So when you pray, say, Father. And here's how I quote it. I just go piece by piece. Father. You know, whether you had a perfect father, which you didn't, or a very terrible father, which you might have, I think hardwired in us is the knowledge of what a perfect father really is. And that's why you can see the deficiencies in in people around you. Your heavenly father is the perfect father. And he doesn't slap you down. He does pick you up and hold you up and walk with you as you get your balance and move you in the right direction. He is faithful. He is just. He is pure. He is good. And you can just spend some time right there. And then he says, your kingdom come. Jesus teaches a lot about the kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of heaven is like. Whatever. There's a long list. Here's how that rolls out. God, I'm your ambassador today. May your kingdom be evident in my life today. God, would I would you help me to represent you well? when I'm in conversation with my wife, when I'm in conversation with my kids, when I'm at work, God, would your kingdom be evident in my life today? You can take it a step further. God, would your kingdom be evident in Nina, Wisconsin today? God, would you give wisdom, surround our leaders with godly wisdom? Would you help them to make good decisions? Would you help righteousness to prevail? God, would you help The the decisions that I make vocationally when I'm at the office, would you help me? Would you give me wisdom? Would people know that I'm your child? Would Would you help me there? You could spend some time there. And then he says, give us each day our daily bread. Lord, you know what I know. Okay, you're a good father. You're worthy to be praised. Missed that one. Praise, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. He's a good father. He's an awesome God. His kingdom is good and right. Now you know my needs. You go in that, now you're not asking for the Ferrari. You're asking for what you need. You're asking for what you want. God, would you provide for me? Help me. And then... He says, Forgive me. How many times do we hit the presence of God, recognizing as Peter did our failures, and we begin our prayers with that? Oh, God, would you forgive me? Now, let me just give you a word of encouragement. If God wanted you to start there, He would have put it first. But He puts it way down the list because He knows it's there. But I need to get your heart right and, and in line, because I am a good father, and I'm going to forgive you, and we get through there and we get to that point, you know he's a good father, you know forgiveness is there, you know righteousness is there, you know his laws are good. He knows it too, and, and it's going to happen, and then you get to forgive other people because for who has been forgiven much forgives much. <clears throat> and God, I need your protection. You know the Lord's prayer. You can repeat it. You can quote it. But don't think that's prayer life. Jesus says, when you pray, here's the model. Work through this. And then make it personal. Make it applicable to you. And and you see how all four of these categories are covered in the Lord's prayer? So, as you Work through this, quote a line, stay there for a little bit. Quote another line, stay there for a little bit and work your way through. But he doesn't stop there. This has actually been a very convicting message for me to write. Look at it. I urge then, first of all, that all petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people. Unless you think there are some you shouldn't be praying for, let me make it very clear. You need to be praying for kings and for all those in authority that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. Do we pray for our government leaders? Do I pray for my government leader? That's the those are the four fingers pointing back at me. Because I can tell you all the things I disagree with. I can tell you where they rub me raw. I can clench my fist and I can tell you all about it, but do I pray for them? We have an election coming up. And I would submit to you that there's a lot of churches that are earnestly praying right now. Question I would have is, have they been praying all year? Or did they just come around to it because it's from sin? Paul's instruction here is to always be praying. For our leaders. And he says, for kings and all those in authority. For you and me, that would be the president. That would be the house and the senate. That would be our governor, the state representatives. That would be our mayor, the city council, the school board, the police, the fire department, just to name a few. But look, look here also. He says that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. Now here's where I may step on some toes. So maybe I'll just do something a little bit different every day. <clears throat> Let's just talk. (laughs) You're all adults here, except for the screaming ones over in this general area over here. (laughs) Um, I wanna be honest with you today. Um, Sadly, over the last few years, There are a lot of people who have made a decision that the right thing to do is to protest and to picket and to, with clenched fists and gnashed teeth, fight for their rights. But that's not what it says. It says that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. And for some, godliness and holiness isn't quiet and peaceful. You cannot read God's word in context, which is how we should all be reading God's word, and get those marching orders. Now remember at the beginning, I'm talking to Christians here. So if you're not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm praying that you will be. God certainly wants you to be. We'll get to that in a few minutes. But I'm talking to Christians right now The world says, fight. That's not fair. I have a right. That's what the world does. And we're not called to look like the world. Jesus didn't fight for his rights. He considered his rights nothing so that he ultimately would become a slave and a servant to all, giving up all of his rights, even to death, death on a cross. This for the believer, this is to be your sole source of truth in your life. The Word of God. This is our guide. This is our instruction manual for life. How do you do life? What decisions do I make? Which direction do I take? What am I supposed to think about this or that? It's in the word of God. Psalm chapter 119 verse 105 says, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. So when it comes to your civic responsibility, if I can just tiptoe into that, you have a choice. You get a vote. You get to vote, and you should vote. You only get one, so might as well use it. Vote. That's your civic responsibility. Take it seriously and use it. Who do you vote for? I cannot tell you that. And I won't. But there are some things that I believe you have to consider and you must do so in the context, with the guide of the word of God this is our filter this is right from wrong we live in a very divisive and violent society right now perhaps it's greater than others I I don't know I have only lived 50 years so I can't tell you Jake could tell you about medieval times. He's, we had that conversation before because he says he studied it. I don't know. Um, you can't believe the media. You just can't. I mean, let's, let's just call it what it is. And When I was growing up in the 80s, the, I think it was HBO had this show called Not Necessarily the News. That's the news Today, every news show is not necessarily the news. It isn't. The large media corporations, who are for profit, by the way, make decisions on what they believe to be the news and what their take on said news is going to be. And that's how they report it. And so I'll just tell you what you believe by which channel you watch because they're feeding you what you want to hear. We were watching this game yesterday and we had the, all these political um, commercials on. Okay, So if it was from the opponent, he's talking about the spawn of Satan. And if it's from the individual, he's Christ incarnate. And there is no in between. So somebody's lying. And on the news programs, that they get people up there, we report, you decide, so we're going to give you this person and we're going to give you this person. They're opposing views. They're saying the exact opposite. And so you have to decide who's lying. They both are. And before you can come to a decision, hey, hold right there, we're now going to break for commercial because we've got to pay the bills, and they come back on, and they're not even there anymore. They've moved on to something else. That's the truth. And as an adult, you have to maneuver through all of this stuff. How do you do that? 2 Peter chapter 1 says, His divine power has given us everything things we need for a godly life through knowledge of him. Through knowledge of him. The closer you are to him, the more insight you will have, the more wisdom you will have, the more understanding you will have, the more clarity you will have. I love how the ESV puts it. It divides it. His divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness. They're really one and the same for the Christian, but they are also both. So we cannot afford to have the world tell us what to believe. Somebody agrees with me we cannot afford the media to tell us what to believe. Some would say, well, just vote your conscience. I would not say that. Because what if you're wrong? What if your conscience has been seared as the word of God has What if you're new to this? Which many are. And, and um, make no mistake about it. God will not be mocked. A man reaps whatever he sows. So if you've been sowing world for 20 years, your mind, you know, your brain's been trained. And, and it's, it takes sowing this for a while in order to begin to reap it. So it's not your conscience. It's what does the Word of God say, and there are lots of issues on the political landscape right now. And some, you know, the Bible's kind of silent. Others, the Bi- the Bible speaks, and truly, one aisle may align with the Word of God, and another aisle. Might not on the same issue, and vice versa. There are some of those that's true, but there are others that the Word of God shouts about, and and you know they float to the top, and so we're, we're left with again. One vote, and you need to know what the issues are. Use your brain. Be an adult. Act like it. When you're a child, you act like a child. When you're a man, you act like a man. That's just. There's another one of God's wisdom nuggets for us. And I'm here to tell you, we need to take this seriously. society is not getting better. Based on what the, what the word of God says, it's not going to be. There will be pockets. There will be. And the Bible says that in the last days there will be a revival because it's not God's will that any would perish but all would come to repentance. And he's going to do everything he can to reach the nation. But just because your dollar bill says, in God we trust, does not make it so as a nation. Just a little further in 2 Peter, in chapter 3, Peter tells us what it's going to be like. The day of the Lord is going to come. It's going to come like thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. The earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. So, since this is going to happen, what type of people ought you to be? There's not much more we have to say about what's going to happen to this disposable planet. It's going to be terrible. And it's true. And it's coming. So what are you supposed to be? Who are you supposed to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God, and his feet is coming. At risk of disclosing the news outlet that I <laughs> get an email from, I get from CBN News, Christian Broadcasting because I'm a pastor, I have to get it from Christians. I saw this email yesterday, and, and I'm, I didn't dig, I didn't go to the side. It just you know just says what it says. We live in a double standard world too. And and here's here's where that is obvious to me. Just as quick as recent as yesterday. This news report said that the Department of Justice is uh, is has heightened. Its assault on pro choicers. Okay. 11 arrests in recent days, and here was what they were arrested for standing and blocking people from going into an abortion plan. Okay. Not throwing fire. Molotov cocktails not punching people not turning over cars standing in the way of people who want to go kill their children modern day child sacrifice that's what abortion is okay and I have no idea the details there so that's 100% of what I know but it does confirm the double standard that's in our society today. And here's, here's my redirect. Here's my counter. What are they doing now? Because this says we are to live holy and godly lives. Paul says in First Timothy chapter 2, that we are to live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness and i would submit to you that standing in somebody's way who has no intention of stopping is not quiet it's not peaceful it's not godly and it's not holy now you may be offended by that and i'm and i'm sure you'll get over it but here's my perspective on that. If they're not believers, if they don't know, they're just going, you're not going to stop them. You're probably going to get arrested. And I'm not quite, I'm, I'm pretty sure God hasn't called you to do that. Better you stand outside and wait for this person who is going to be emotionally distraught, perhaps for the rest of their life, and introduce them to someone who can heal their heart. That was a good word. And I've had to reconcile this. We don't do cakes for the same-sex marriage, and I don't do the flowers, and what they end up doing is losing their life. And here's a counter to that. There was obviously a relationship there There's probably a friendship there. Did they consider doing it for free? Or not making any money on it? Or just doing it so that they could maintain a relationship there? So that at some point they could share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. Because at this point it's destroyed. That bridge That relationship is destroyed and it will never, logic says, it will never be rebuilt. And for the person who is a believer, who's living a quiet and peaceful life in godliness and holiness, will have a very little chance of ever reaching that person who's been so offended by this godly and holy person who can't get over themselves. Who are you called to be? What is God's plan for your life, Christian? To go war? To go to war? Over something you can't do anything about anyway? And destroy an opportunity that God has? since everything's going to be destroyed, what type of people are you to be? Who are we called to be? We are called to be holy and godly. Because that day is going to bring about destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt In the heat. You want to know what the Bible has to say about global warming? That's it. It is gonna happen. It is going to happen. And there's no amount of electric cars and recycling is going to make a difference in that. God, when God's had enough, guess what? He's gonna let go of the world and it is going to be destroyed. So then, verse 14, dear friends, since you're looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless and blameless and at peace with him. Keep this in mind, that the Lord's patience means salvation to people that don't yet know him. This passage begins with a statement about God's patience. A day with the Lord is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord's not slow in keeping his promise. Instead, he's patient with you. Why? Because he doesn't want anyone to suffer, but he wants all to come to repentance. And what we help with when we're living that quiet and peaceful, holy and godly life, is we are creating that question, that questionable life. How, Steve, can you have peace when the market is melting down? How in the world can you be so just quiet and nonchalant when all this stuff is going on? Don't you see the fires? Don't you see all this happening? How can you do that? Well, hey, I'm, this world isn't my home. What do you mean by that? Now, I, I'm not perfect. Let me tell you something. My wife will write you books about my lack of perfection, my children will do the postscript. I need a savior. I need a savior because I'm so far from perfection and I found him. He has brought me peace and it's not because of anything I've done and I have no idea why he chose to reveal himself to me, but I'm thankful for it. And I would love to introduce you to him. There ain't no picket sign or petition, or angry eyebrows, or clenched fists, or gnashed teeth that will win someone over easier than a quiet, peaceful, godly, holy conversation with someone. I urge you then, first of all, petitions, prayers, intercession, thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings, all those in authority, that we may live a peaceful, quiet life in godliness and holiness. This is good, and it pleases God, our Savior. The worship team can come Here's why, because he wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. What is that truth? There's one God, there's only one. And there's one mediator between God and us. It is the God man Christ Jesus. What did he do? He gave his life as a ransom to pay the penalty for my sin. That's the gospel. It's the gospel. This instruction goes to the heart of Paul's ministry. He can't help himself. This is the purpose. This is my purpose. Believer, Christian, this is your purpose to live in such a way that you earn the right to share this good news with anyone and everyone that God brings into your path. We pray not just for ourselves, not just for each other, But I believe this is saying we are to pray for the salvation of our leaders. Why is there so much angst and anxiety and bad decisions and, and I mean, total conflict with God's word? Why? Because they're not saved. They have not, they have not Come to that knowledge of the truth, as he says right here. And that's not God's heart. He doesn't want people to spend their life and end their life with that lack of knowledge and truth. No, he wants everyone to be saved. That's what we should be praying for. And and you need not worry about, am I judging them? Hey, you know what? You know them by their fruit. You know them by their fruit. And you can pray for the salvation of someone that you don't know if they're saved or not. What if they're not? You want to risk that? No. And if they are, well, praise God. It's not like you've lost any. You could pray for that. That's the purpose of Paul's calling. That's why we're still here. That's why God planted this church. It's to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. God so loved the world. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him would, would put their confident trust In Jesus Christ, whoever would believe in him would not perish, but would have eternal life. Unless you think this is condemnation. No, 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 no. Jesus didn't come into this world to condemn you. You're already condemned because there's no one righteous, not even one. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. So Jesus didn't need to come here to condemn you. You're already condemned. He came here to save the world. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, verse 18. Here's the problem. Here's the responsibility that we have Whoever does not believe stands condemned because they have not believed. We need to have an urgency about our life. We need to have an urgency about our attitude, about our words. We already know what's happening out there no one, I mean, I've, t- I've not told you anything you don't already know today, okay? But perhaps we've gotten a mixed message from church leaders who have said, fight, and I'm here to tell you the Bible's saying, That's not going to win. The battle's already been won. Jesus Christ has overcome death, hell, and the grave. Praise God. What's he asked us to do? Live peaceful. Live quiet. Live holy and godly. Because he wants all people to be saved. And as we walk that walk... It will force, that's a questionable life. I mean, in today's society, that's a questionable life. What in the world is your problem? I ain't got no problem. I got Jesus. And here's just how it manifests in my life and the people around me. So what's it gonna be like? What's it gonna be like? Jesus tells us. That day or hour, nobody knows when it's going to happen, not the angels, not even me, in his words. Only the Father knows. But I will tell you this, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. In the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day that Noah entered the ark. For 75 years, he built that thing and I promise you, he told people. Just didn't believe him. And that's how it's going to be. Two men are in the field. One's going to be taken. One's the, other, the other one's left. Two women, one taken. The other left. So we have a responsibility. Living with that knowledge, watching for that Now, you might ask, well, what was that like in the days of Noah? What was that like? Genesis chapter 6 tells us, The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth. And here it is. Every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. Really close to that right now. Super close to that. Are we there yet? I don't know. Seems like it some days. What's heartbreaking is verse six. The Lord regretted that He made human beings, His heart was troubled. It's our society today. I would submit to you, breaks the father's heart. But he does have a plan. That plan is Jesus. He sent his son into this world, knowing that we could never save ourselves. He covered that for us. As a believer, you have a responsibility to live that out. If you're not a believer, if you're not a Christian, this may not have been a service that you were expecting. This may not have been a message that you were expecting, but we teach verse by verse here. This is what the Bible says. and I believe this is a word for us today. We need to hear it. But if you're not a believer, if you've not made that decision to make Jesus the Lord of your life, or if you, perhaps you have in the past, and right now, if I, you know, just point blank, are you in right relationship with God? The, the answer to the question is, you know, no. I believe the Lord has brought you here today to hear that He loves you, that He wants nothing more then that right relationship with him, that freedom, that peace is yours, for the taking. And if that's you, I would just invite you to take advantage of that today. There's nothing more important than that. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I'm, I'm humbled by your presence today. I'm thankful that you have a timely word for us. It's very appropriate for us to hear right now. The stakes are super high because they're eternal. And it's so far beyond an election or a social issue or some candidate here, or some candidate there. No, the stakes are eternal. And it is not your will that any of us would perish, that would live eternally without you. It is your heart that we would all come to a place of repentance and recognition that you are God and that you stand ready to forgive us and save us from that eternity into a new eternity. I would just ask right now, with just heads bowed and eyes closed, if there's somebody here and... you know you're not right with God. And I'm not saying you're not saved, I'm not saying that you are, I'm just saying in, in an alone, a moment with the Lord, we just you and him, and you ask the question, Lord, am I right with you? And you know in your heart, the answer is no. You have unconfessed sin, all the way to the one that you've never heard the gospel or even you've just never made that decision, I'm here to tell you there is a God who saves and is standing ready to forgive you and give you peace and joy in your heart. And between you and the Lord and me, I'd like to pray for you. And if that's you, just the sign of an upraised hand, if there's somebody here, you've not, you know you're not right with the Lord. Can I pray for you? Is there anybody here today? Thank you. That's awesome. Praise God. Anybody else? (laughs) Amazing. Hallelujah. God, I praise your name. Your word says all heaven rejoices over one. Praise God. God, I thank you that you save. I thank you that you forgive. I thank you that it is your heart. And so, Lord, I pray for this one that would be that renewal, that forgiveness, that that repentance. And Lord, I pray for the, the rest of us in the room. God, may we just store these words, these marching orders, this directive, this instruction in our hearts. And open up the doors for those that you have surrounded us with in the workplace and In the home, in the neighborhood, in the marketplace, you you bring people by our paths every single day. May we be your vessel this week. Your hands and feet. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and praise the Lord.